Hey, this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Good morning. morning. Today, um, I wanted to invite you to join me in the book of Acts. Uh, It's the fifth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And we're going to continue our study uh, on the Holy Spirit. One of the goals that I have for all of us, and I am learning this afresh this morning even, is that we have an advocate in the Holy Spirit. You know, a lot of times we feel like we're dependent on someone else. Um, And my goal is I don't want you to be dependent on your pastor or your pastors or your worship leaders or your church people or your spouse. I want you to be dependent and live powerful and free by dependency on the Holy Spirit of God. That's, That's where we find true victory in life. And good doctrine is what we are going to teach here at the church, but we're also Understanding that good doctrine means that God's power lives within all who call on the name of Jesus. And so that's what we're focusing on for the next several weeks. And it's um, uh, the next step is, uh, number one, I have to do my part today to be efficient to get us out of here on time. So you've picked a great day. If it's your first time here, there's no way I'm going to preach long. Okay, There's a signal that's been given to me that if I go too long, they're going to just pull me off here. Okay, All right, so here we go. So... We're going to um, talk today just really quickly about uh, the different kinds of experiences that we have with the Holy Spirit. And we'll dive more into that in the weeks to come as to what it means for the Holy Spirit to be an active player and an active role and a guide and, and have a relationship with the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so I wanted to kind of set you at ease today because when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, experiences will vary, but the results will stay the same. And here's what I mean by that. Your experiences are going to change from person to person. Like I may have a a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit that leads me to cry or tears, even pray in a language that I don't even know. There's, There's some wonderful things that can happen experientially with the Holy Spirit. You may have an experience that seems muted compared to that. Like, why didn't it happen the same way for me? And so we'll see that that will happen comparatively from person to person. It will change. But you'll also see at different points in your life, you'll have those mountaintop experiences with the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it'll feel just like it's dry. But your results are going to be the same. When you're praying and you are filled with the Spirit of God, God will be with you through the mountaintops and through the valleys. Amen? Amen. He's going to be with you the whole time. So His presence is there, which is one of the songs that we're singing here that, um, um, you know, my, my eyes are on you, my focus is on you. It's your word that is true because our experiences will change. And so if we're Dependent on those, we're setting ourselves up to ebb and flow with the rise and fall of our, our own spirit, our own uh, sensitivities and experiences. But our trust is in the promise of God. And God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And He gives us an advocate in the Holy Spirit. So we've covered a lot of things, uh, but I want to help us understand that there are varying experiences. And so look with me in chapter 4 of 
the book of Acts. Some people call this book the Acts of the Apostles. Some say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Either one of those are fine. Uh, they're good conversations, but um, the, I, I think the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles will even work. We'll do that one. And so this is a, a, a great book that shows how Jesus um, promised in John 14 that the Holy Spirit would come. In John 15, he talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. Or it's 15 and 16. One of those, it's in Acts, John, excuse me. He promised this, and then in Acts, he starts off, and then he, he says, I'm going to leave you. You can't go where I'm going, but I'm, stay here until the Holy Spirit comes. And so the Holy Spirit fills the church, and radical things are happening. Uh, last week, Pastor Ryan, <laughs> Pastor Ryan, Austin, uh, told us about um, how Peter and John were uh, put in jail for, um, uh, for preaching the gospel. Which stinks. They were doing what God told them to do and they got put in jail for it, but they were released. And what happens as a result? They go back and tell people and people start praising God, right? That God had done this wonderful thing. Well, in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, we're going to see uh, a prayer. And I'm going to read this for us uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 23 and following. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when the crowd heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And this is their prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by what? By who? The Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against the anointed one, his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So that's really cool talking about the sovereignty of God, right? I mean, you think you had control, you think you killed Jesus, but basically he submitted himself to this plan that was already in motion, and you were an active player in that uh, without knowing you were an active player in God's will. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Peter and John were threatened. Cut this out. Stop talking about this Jesus mumbo-jumbo. You're stirring up the crowds. You're trying to shift the power around here. We don't like it. Shut up or we're going to take care of it for you. And they were like, we can't help but speak, right? I mean, we're, we're going to keep saying the truth of the gospel of who Jesus is because it's truth. We're going to keep doing this. And so now they're being persecuted and threatened. And they say in verse 29, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Instead of asking, Lord, hear our threats, take them away from us. Help us to have an easier life. They said, you hear the threats, give us boldness to proclaim the truth in the midst of this. Stretch out your hand and heal to, perform, uh, to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the word of the Lord. So if you have two points you want to write down, you can write these down. Uh, the two results of being filled with the Holy Spirit are this. Number one, 
the words, your words will proclaim Jesus boldly. That's the first one we see from this text. The second one is that our hands will heal and not harm. Words will proclaim Jesus boldly, and our hands will heal and not harm. You see this from um, verse 29, is when he talks about proclaiming the word of God with boldness. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So they weren't trying to push their agenda. Everything that they had in their hearts and minds was focused on what Jesus had done and what his promises were for them. It was all about proclaiming Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, speak. His word. And His word doesn't mean that they're just trying to espouse good doctrine to the people, but word here means more than that. It means the message of Christ. It is, it's, it's, it's overarching, encompassing that the message, and we're going to see it all throughout the book of Acts, is that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, and you killed him. All right? That's pretty bad news, right? I mean, I feel like that would, I would not appreciate hearing that. I, I would like, oh snap, what do I do? And the proper response is, you know, what must we do to be saved because we're, we're damned in this because we've killed the anointed one. There's nothing we can do. And the answer is to repent and be baptized, right? To change your direction and stop following your own way but follow Jesus because He is the way. And so that's the Word of God that there's only one way we can be saved. And so our words will be used to proclaim Jesus bolding. This doesn't mean that we need to make people feel bad about themselves. I think sometimes we can read our own baggage into passages like this when we see Peter and John saying, you killed the anointed one. And it makes us feel like, yeah, I need to get angry and go tell people how much they suck too. You know, you, you screwed up. Dude. You did this. You did that. And, and we can read our own baggage into it to where we start to justify bad behavior. And what Peter and John were doing were proclaiming boldly to their people, guys, listen, you missed the boat. You killed the anointed one. He's the, he's the Messiah, and He's the only way you need to, to quote a famous theologian. I can't think of who wrote this or said this, but to check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? <laughs> and so it, it's not going to turn out well for you. This is a bad thing that's happened. And so he said, you must proclaim the Word of God boldly. And so it's God's message, our words, God's message, and the Sanhedrin uh, had heard this, this boldness. Um, if you look in chapter 5, just kind of skip over verses 29 through 32. When they spoke with boldness, they, we're going to cover more of this in, in weeks to come. They spoke with boldness, but you can see the response right here. that Verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. And that's the boldness, is that sometimes... We're so worried about what other people are going to think about us that we'll compromise the truth of who Jesus is. And we're all susceptible to that. And so that's why we must be filled with the Spirit of God so that we can proclaim Jesus boldly. Not like a jerk, but with strength of knowing that He is the way. We can um, love people regardless of the response to the gospel. We can have this grace and this disposition toward them even when they do not believe <clears throat> Verse 30 of chapter 5 says, The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging Him on a tree. God exalted Him to His own right hand as Prince and Savior, that He might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the who? The Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey Him. And verse 33, When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. 
So boldness doesn't mean that it's all necessarily going to work out grand for you. You might just make some people mad. But make sure it's the Word of God making them mad and not our disposition toward them. There was a quote, and I, I'm going to do my best. Uh, uh, Preston Sprinkle had this on his Facebook, and it goes something like this. <laughs> it said, Jesus upheld a ridiculously high standard for obedience, but He loved people who didn't hold that standard in an equally ridiculous amount. I messed that last part up, but that's the, that's the gist of it. <laughs> it's just saying, like, Jesus was perfect, right? This standard of obedience was unprecedented. He did it. It was crazy. But the people that He was coming to save didn't do that, and He just loved them exceptionally, exponentially more than what they deserved, immeasurably more than we deserve. And so that should be our heart as well. Strive for that obedience. Follow God. Love the God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. And then to, to realize that you're not going to find the perfect people around your life. You're going to have people fail you. And our job is to love them. Speak God's word with boldness. And so the, I guess the antithesis of this would be using your own words to speak a message in order to please the crowds. So that's kind of a litmus test. If you're using your words to speak a message that you know people want to hear, then that may not be a good thing. It may be that you're not filled with the Spirit of God, but maybe the Spirit of fear. A Spirit-filled person speaks God's Word with boldness. The second one is this. <clears throat> Spirit-filled person's hands bring healing and not harm. In verse 30, it said, Stretch out your hand. This is in chapter 4 again. Now, Lord, consider the threats, excuse me, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So it was the apostles' hands that were healing people. God was doing that through them. God did the healing in the name of Jesus, but He was using the people to do that. So there's beauty and there's power in us making sure our hands are hands of healing and not hands of harm. And it's very easy uh, for our hands to cause a lot of harm uh, on our phones right now or on our keypads. We can use our hands to criticize and to cut and to condemn instead of finding ways to bring healing, uh, especially in the political arena. It's so easy for us to fall into that trap. God was moving through them to bring healing, but not just healing, which, which He did do, bring healing and these miraculous signs. But what too oftentimes we as Christians get into a trap of thinking that I'm in Christ now, and so one day I'm going to go to heaven. And that's really poor theology uh, for a few reasons, but the one I'm going to focus on right now is the fact that God isn't working to take us away to somewhere else. God is working to bring His kingdom here. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so God is empowering us to do that with His Holy Spirit. And if we're doing it by our own power, we're, we're going to cause harm and not healing, which is why we must continually be filling and drinking of the Spirit and saying, Lord, just fill me to overflowing. I just surrender myself to you. I receive your Spirit in this moment. Bring your kingdom work through me in the name of Jesus for His glory, because I cannot do it on my own. Words proclaim Jesus boldly, and our hands bring healing and not harm. 
So experiences vary. So I, I bring that up because it says after they prayed this, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I've, I've not been, I've been to some powerful worship services before, but I haven't been in a place that shook, right? I, I'm, one day it's going to happen. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to happen one day. But it hasn't happened. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God. So I got to thinking, you know, but when you see a, a text like this, it can make you feel like, well, maybe I'm missing out. Maybe I'm not doing something right. And, and maybe that's true. Maybe we're not really praying in the Spirit. Maybe we're praying by our own strength. Kind of like the people who were baptized into John's baptism and, and didn't receive the Spirit of God, right? They was, it was repentance, but it was still by our own power that we were living. And so what do we do when the place is shaken, but it's not shaking right now? Well, we can remember there's all kinds of places we can look at, but the first one I thought of was 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, where, where Paul talked about this messenger of Satan who was tormenting him. And he said, I asked God three times to take it away. And he said, no. And what was his response? God's response said, my grace is sufficient for you. So sometimes we pray and we might not get the answer that we want, right? Sometimes we won't have that shaking of the place, that quaking of the place. And so these experiences change a lot. And it happens in salvation too. I know sometimes um, you, you go to events and someone has this radical story like they were addicted to drugs and you know, off the beaten path, just really out there, but then they got saved in a radical turnaround and you find yourself, man, I wish I was addicted to drugs at one time. They got a cool testimony. I don't, you know. And so it, it's just like, you know, you can find yourself just thinking things and then, you know, parse that out. And you're like, that's stupid. Don't think that. And so, um, but you find yourself wanting those mountaintop experiences and we think that sometimes the easy transition to Christianity or the smooth one isn't as powerful. So it, um, I was listening to a podcast this week uh, with N.T. Wright, and uh, he brought up this illustration between the two. And if you look in Acts chapter 16, um, there's a story of when Paul was uh, in Philippi, and he was preaching the Word and going to different places. And uh, chapter 16, verse 13, I'll read it for you. If you're not there, it's fine. It says, On the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river, and we were expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home and said this, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Pretty smooth transition, right? She was just listening. They were at a place of prayer. She was a worshiper of God. She hears Paul's message. And she just believes. All right. I believe in what you're saying. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be baptized. Well, same city. Paul is um, in prison now because he's, again, preaching the Word of God and he won't stop like Peter. And uh, in verse 25, we see another conversion story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, which I'm sure all of us would do if we were in prison, right? They were singing, prisons, uh, singing, prisons, singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought all the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We're all here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, he brought them out and he said, Sirs, what must I do to be 
saved, to be rescued. And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And so they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his family were baptized. And the jailer brought them into the house. And there's the story. It's a very different radical, it's a radical salvation, isn't it? Can you imagine? They're in the same town, but Lydia was kind of a well-to-do woman. She was a dealer of purple cloth, which means purple represented royalty. So her clientele would be people that that were well-to-do as well. So she was in like one socioeconomical class. And the jailer, we don't even know this guy's name. It's just the jailer. And so Lydia, this well-to-do and jailer who's a common, probably a roughneck guy who's around prisoners a lot. But two radically different stories. Can you imagine if they showed up at church? They had Connection Church back then somewhere. And they showed up at Connection Church and they're just talking. And like, how did you come to know the Lord? Oh, Paul is preaching. Oh, was there an earthquake? No, no earthquake. Did, oh, did anything? No, nothing like that happened. And we can start to question, based on experiences, the validity of our faith. Your faith is not built on your experience. Your faith is built on who your faith is in. That's the promise. Who is your faith in? Is it in Jesus? Is it in what God's done for you through Him? Or is it in an experience that you've had? Now, experiences are great. And I'm hoping you have some powerful experiences with the Holy Spirit. I really do. I hope I have those. But that's not where our hope is. It's not in the experience. It's in the Holy Spirit. The promise that God's given to us through Jesus Christ, that we have an advocate for us. And so these experiences can look very different, whether it's our salvation experience or whether it's filling with the Holy Spirit experiences. Different experiences, but the same result. And that result is that God is with you. He's not just like with you presently either, but He's also like for you, with you, like alongside you. Even when you're doing things you shouldn't do, He's still with you. He's advocating for you in those moments. He doesn't leave you. He loves you. He finds delight in you. At your baptism, God looks upon you and it says, This is my beloved in whom I'm well pleased. As you pursue to live a Spirit-filled life, which I hope you do, and I know you will, I believe you will. Expect different experiences. Expect some mountaintops. Expect some dry seasons where I may not feel the powerful presence of God in this moment, but I know He is here. Even when I don't see it, you're working. That's all we just sang, right? It's going to be different for each person. It's going to be different in each season of your life. And my final word as I land the plane here is this. Do not try to bypass the filling of the Spirit in your life. Because it will burden you to try to live an obedient life to God without His help. Without His power living within you. The biggest thing for you to do is to just stop and focus on the Lord and pray. And just surrender to God's Holy Spirit and say, Spirit, I receive you in this moment. And I receive your filling. And I give my life to you. That's a a daily repentance. Turning away from trying to do it yourself. I know it sounds good and something you can brag about, but that's that's, that's bogus. 
We always brag about what God's done for us. Because truly, His grace is sufficient. Will you pray with me? Lord, we bless You, and it is a privilege to be known by You, to, to know that You see into the depths of our hearts and to our lives, and You see the, the darkest of, of places in our hearts. You see the, the, the mountaintops of joy that we've had, and You, you see everything about us, and You uh, choose to call us Your own. And so, Lord, I just thank You for how great Your mercy and Your grace is. Thank you, God, God, that you uh, don't leave us alone. You don't tell us to go and prove ourselves to you. In fact, you did the opposite. You proved yourself to us. So in just a moment, as we come to the Lord's table, we, we come and we receive what you've done for us, your broken body and your spilled blood. We receive that, knowing that that is our justification. That is the plea that we have to proclaim the promise of your Holy Spirit. It's not based on what we've done. It's based on you laying down your life so that we could be made right with you. May we be filled with your spirit so that we would proclaim the name of Jesus boldly in our homes, to our neighbors, in our city, in our country, and throughout the world. May people hear how good you are, Jesus, and may they see how good you are by transforming our hearts and our hands so that we would bring healing to this world. We love you, Jesus. Amen.